We live in a world that says you pick, you decide, you just might be right. Guys, I just want you to know that the Bible you read is actually true. I want you to know that there is an absolute truth. And let me tell you what the absolute truth is. That one thing, let me tell you, in the middle of all the craziness, there's one absolute truth that never changes and always remains. You know who that is? Jesus. Jesus isn't trapped or wrapped up into methods. Jesus isn't conflicted about the conclusion of what he did on the cross for our sin. Jesus isn't confused at all. (laughs) There is an absolute truth, and it's Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, we spend so much time trying to come up with an answer, trying to come up with all sorts of, of, weird, of weird conclusions. But let me tell you this, church, and I say this, man, if I could say this as your pastor, if I could say this, if I could grab each of you by the ears and just say, listen for a second, we all are going to have to give an account for this thing called truth. You're going to have to give it before Jesus for sure, but you're also going to be held to account to give it to those who live around you now. Because people around you want, listen to this, you call yourself a Christian, you know what people around you want? They want you to believe in what you say you believe. They want you to really believe this, even though they make fun of you, even though they say crazy things about you, even though they poke at you, they're hoping that you don't change because it just might be right. They want you to hang on to truth. Whether they believe it or not, they want you to know that you actually believe what you say you believe. Here's the problem. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Is there really an absolute right and wrong? And if it's true, then are you holding tight to it? That's what the world's hoping for, is that you're actually hanging on, hanging on tight. Hmm. Mark my words, we all will give an account. Oftentimes, Jesus becomes a footnote to our life. I think in this culture we live in, Jesus becomes almost a footnote to our life. You know what a footnote is, right? A footnote is this. A footnote is basically um, an ancillary piece of information printed at the bottom of a page. You know what it does? Helps, supports, and lends credibility to the main story. See, Jesus becomes a footnote. He just kind of helps credibility of your whatever. See, the problem is, is Jesus doesn't need to be the footnote. Jesus is supposed to be the main story. But we kind of say, yes, you know, I'm a, I'm a nice person. I do nice things. I, I go to church. I try to do the things I'm supposed to do, and, but it's because I'm a Christian. Instead of I'm a Christian, as a result of that, these things just flow out of me. Is Jesus a footnote in your life, or is Jesus the main body of the story? Is Jesus something that just lends credibility to your thing, or is Jesus the thing? See, sometimes I think Jesus becomes this little add-on, this, this proof text, this, this little thing of, hey, look, don't forget, I have a footnote, it's Jesus, I'm a Christian. Don't forget. Is it, sometimes you read a book, how many times you read a book and you don't go down and read the footnote? You don't know exactly what that little number one is there for. You just continue plowing through it, because you might get to it. Most authors today don't even use footnotes. They use endnotes. They write stuff at the end of the book. Most of us just flip right past that because it's a little too much work. Has Jesus become something that we've just put at the end of something and eh, we'll just kind of show? Or is Jesus the reason he's just the story? See, I'm believing right now that we're living in a culture that's crying out for us to put Jesus as the story of why we exist 
that everything is created and held together and sustained in Jesus. Even in our religious circles, in our churches, we, we, we spend a lot of time trying to validate our methods. We spend a lot of time telling people, well, you know, our church is really mature because we, we, we do prayer 24 hours a day. Or, or, or we, do, uh, we pray this way at the altar. Or we do this kind of worship. Or we study like this because we're a discipleship church and you clearly are not. We have all these crazy things. Here's what I want to say. I, I, I just want to say, God, would you just reduce us to Jesus? Just reduce us to Jesus. Get over our methods. Get over our craziness. Just reduce us to Jesus. That's what I believe God's creating. That's what he created for us all along. All along. The message of the cross was, the Bible says it's foolishness for those who are perishing, but us who are being saved, it's supposed to be the power of God. Because the message of the cross, you know what the message of the cross is, right? It's the simple message. You made a mess. Jesus came to the world to fix the mess. Now you get to follow him. Amen. Message of the cross. Hmm. I'm going to start a five-week series today. The series is called Take Note of This. I want to spend five weeks talking to you about making room for Jesus. We spent this all last year spending time trying to say, how do we make room in our families? How do we make room in our workplace? How do we make room in our churches? How, how do we make room in our finances? How do we make room in our families? We spent all this time, and I feel like the Lord has just been this, this thing has been bubbling underneath in my heart, and I feel like it's time to let it out. Here's what it is. We need to learn to make room for Jesus. I mean, make room for Jesus, that he is the reason we even come here today. It's just about him. It's not a method. It's not about your emotions. It's not your feelings or what it is that we do, but it's Jesus. I'm going to spend this next five weeks talking to you about Jesus, about getting back to Jesus, about making room for Jesus. You know what? You, I have people come to me all the time and say, yeah, you know, Lance, if we just did this a little longer, if we just did this a little more, if we just focused a little bit on that, if we were more about this and more about that, I'm being careful not to say any of those things. But because, you know, the truth is, because then we'll be answering the call of God on our lives. If we all hop on planes and fly over bodies of water, if we all give money towards a particular issue, if we all do, it's that point that you'll be able to find yourself as well doing it right. What if we just reduced it all to Jesus and we just did what Jesus did? And we fall in love with Jesus and we live like Jesus and we serve like Jesus and we love like Jesus and we give like Jesus and we forgive like Jesus. What if we just reduce this whole church thing down to one thing, Jesus? In fact, you go to a four-square church. I don't know if you realize that. But the four-square church, right? You know what it's really all about? The four-square gospel, Jesus. Four squares. You know what they are? Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our healer. Jesus, our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, our soon-and-coming king. It's all about Jesus. Amen. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. That's what it is. But unfortunately, we kind of turned it into, we always want to do that, right? Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, it's all about, you know, Jesus, of course, I love Jesus, of course I love Jesus. But if I do this, then it'll augment my love for Jesus. And we kind of get, we get stuck, because it's nice to have methods, it's nice to have rules. If we have methods and rules and functions, then we don't need relationship. But when we're stuck with Jesus, and all you got is him, and you got relationship. He knows you. And you know him. Hmm. 
So what's life look like when Jesus is a footnote in your world? Let's give a little test. A test on how, if Jesus is a footnote in your life, just a little add-on, just a little something. If Jesus is a footnote, what does your life look like? When Jesus is a footnote, there's two things that basically happen in your life. First of all, you become really susceptible to the voice of the enemy. If Jesus is a footnote in your life, you become super susceptible to the voice of the enemy, right? You know the voice of the enemy, right? We, we kind of sounds like you sometimes. The, the voice of the enemy, you know, that, that when you look in the mirror and it comes back to you and you're like, oh, I'll not be enough. I'm, I'm, I'm not pretty. I'm not happy. I'm not whatever. The voice of the enemy that says you're guilty, filled with shame. If you would have not done that, then you would be better at this. But you know what? Because you did, you'll never be the voice of the enemy. See, the truth is, if you know... Jesus, and he's not just a footnote, then what you do is you fight that. And you say, I should try. I know who I am. I'm forgiven. I'm washed clean with the blood of Jesus. Back off. See, when Jesus is a footnote to your life, you become super susceptible to the voice of the enemy. And it just becomes something that continues to beat you over and over and over and over. And you don't have anything to fight it with because the voice of the enemy sounds so right. It sounds so true. See, here's the crazy thing about the devil. He doesn't come up with stuff that necessarily, he doesn't always come at you with lies. Oftentimes he comes at you with truth and then, then augments it. He comes at you and says, you know what, you're really good. I mean, really, really, really good. In fact, you're really better than him or her. He doesn't come at you because it's not bad to say that you're good in Christ. Amen. But he would say, oh, oh no, you're really super good. See, the devil's weird, man. He, he come at you, right? But you become susceptible to the voice of the enemy when you don't know Jesus, when you're not hanging out with Jesus. When Jesus is a footnote to you, you just a little add on, you add to your life. You just, by the way, I'm wearing the T-shirt. I have the fish on my bumper sticker, all that kind of thing, right? You, those, of you, those of you who are under 20 have no idea what that means. Fish on a bumper sticker, eh, right? Number one, you become susceptible to the voice of the enemy. Number two, Desire to satisfy your flesh grows even stronger. When Jesus is a, a footnote in your life, this, this desire to satisfy your flesh, it becomes super awakened in your life. It's one of those things where th- this passion to pursue the desire of your flesh, I mean, even the things that, you, that, that, that took you down a wrong, bad place that you confessed to Jesus and he saved you from, once you put Jesus as a footnote in your life, those things become, well, eh, Maybe I was a little too overboard with that. You know, I could probably handle it now. It's not a big deal. And what happens then is the voice of the enemy starts to convince you that dabbling around in those things that wrecked your life in your flesh starts to make sense. Ah, rated R, big deal. Eh, you know what? I can laugh at that joke. It's funny. And then all moral conviction just goes out the window because we forget Jesus. He becomes the footnote in our life. What happens with Jesus is the main story. And the voice of the enemy gets silent. When Jesus is the main story of your life, he's not number one, he's the only one. When Jesus is what you're living about in four and two, then your trust factor goes up because that's what you do. You surrender and you trust, just like Pastor Steve said today. Hmm. Maybe that's what's happened in your life. Maybe that's why your convictions have subsided. Maybe that's why your passion for the things of God have waned. Maybe it's because Jesus has become a footnote in your life, and it's just a reference point of, yes, of course I'm a Christian. Of course I love God. But the fact that you are a believer, your life isn't changed. 
because Jesus has become a footnote to you. Maybe that's what's happened. Well, the great news is that we're not the first people that that's happened to and that there's an answer to this big, ugly problem. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. I want to talk to you this morning out of the book of Colossians. Let me tell you this. I, I, I feel like this is one of those series that, um, that, that it's, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about your rightness or your goodness. or It's about Jesus. I just want you to know we're going to be talking full on about him and about how to add our lives to him, how to, how to surrender our lives completely to him, how to live for him, how to serve him. It's going to be about Jesus for the next five weeks. Amen. Come on, or oh my, or something. But I'm telling you, I, I want to spend some time getting after Jesus and letting him get after me. Let me tell you about reading my Bible. I, I love reading my Bible. Here's the crazy truth. Did you know the more I read my Bible, listen to this, the more I read my Bible, the more I love my Bible. Is that the same for you? The more you read it, the more you love it. But do you realize the opposite's also true? The less you read it, the less you love it. <laughs> Maybe that's what's happened. Maybe that's why you don't like to read it. See, I'm just saying, listen, sometimes just spending time in God's word and allowing his word to wash over you, allowing his word to transform you, you begin to fall in love with it. And I've been asking God lately, I remember early in my walk with God, I would sit down for hours and I'd lose time, I'd lose track of time and I'd just read and read and read. And I was like, I've been asking God, would you restore that in me? I just want to restore this passion for your word, a love for your word. And he's like, Lance, put me first. You, you watch me learn, run after me. You lift me up, and I will draw your heart to me. Hmm. Book of Colossians. Why the book of Colossians? I love the book of Colossians. In fact, I think the book of Colossians, is, of all the books of the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, I think the book of Colossians is the most Christ-centric book in all the Bible. It's the most Jesus-centric book. It's four chapters. It's not real long. I challenge you to go ahead and plow through it. Just read it, right? Just spend some time. Read it in different translations, but just read it. Get the Word of God into you. But I love the book of Colossians because it's really an answer to the very problem that we're describing today of, of Jesus being the footnote in our life. The book of Colossians is really, it's, a, it's an answer given to a pastor who had a problem. Uh, let, let, me, let me explain. Uh, 61 AD, right? Not long after 61 AD, not long after Jesus, Paul, the apostle, is, is in prison, right? In prison. He's hanging out in this Roman prison cell, chained to a guard. He's unable to do anything, right? It's in this prison cell that Paul writes four books of the Bible. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And while he's in this Roman prison cell, he, he's, he's doing the work of God. Like I've said before, I think God had to put him in prison so he'd sit still long enough to write but, but he actually sat still and he wrote. Now, now, what did he write? Did Paul just sit there and just get some wild idea and think, gosh, you know what? I should write the book of Colossians. No, in fact, the book of Colossians was written as the result of a question from a pastor. It was a pastor in a church of Colossae. Colossae was this little town. wasn't real big. It was connected to three other little towns in the Roman Empire. It was Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae were all together, three little towns together, this little trifecta of cities. And, and, and eventually, what, what happened was, is there was this church that had birthed itself in Colossae. In fact, Paul had never actually even gone to the church of Colossae, but there was a guy who Paul knew named Epaphras, right? Name your son that. 
come here, Epi, right? So I'm saying Epaphras, right? So Epaphras, Pastor Epaphras, right? He's been, <laughs> Pastor Epaphras was this guy who, who was been a pastor for about four years, right? Hadn't been long. He, he, he gets this. This church had been started. The church is growing. It's getting healthy. But then you know what happened? People were falling in love with Jesus. People were getting saved and transformed in the city of Colossae. And then something crazy happened. People started to make Jesus a footnote in their life. And they started to invoke things like, well, it would be really great and we'd be really better off if we not only had church on Sunday, but if we had church on Wednesday and Friday, and if we sacrificed this, and if we did that, and if we beat ourselves with this, and if we start fasting about that, and we do all this, and we do all this over and over again. And then Epaphras is like, whoa, 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 what about Jesus? And they're like, no, you don't get it, Epaphras. If you just get circumcised, if you just do these things, if you just, he's like, whoa, hang on a second. And so Epaphras Went to use his cell phone, but it didn't work. Did no reception. So he decides to pack up whatever he packed up and trek, get this, a thousand miles to go find Paul in prison. Right? Imagine that, right? Imagine this. You got a trouble, you got a troubled church, and the first thing you're gonna do is travel all the way to somebody in prison. Right? <laughs> What's he gonna do? <laughs> What's he going to do? This whole story sets up like my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is funny because she'll say, um, when she has a problem with somebody, she'll say, I have a problem with that person. Or I have a problem with that company. I have a real problem. She says, you know what I think I should do? I should write them a letter. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that'll change, Mom. I mean, she's just like, I'm going to write them a letter. You know what I think? It's a funny thing. That's what Paul did. <laughs> Paul was like, you know what? There's a problem. I'm going to write them a letter. Right? Book of Colossians. He wrote them a letter. And the letter was confronting the heresy that was being birthed in the church. The letter was saying, guys, would you stop it? Would you stop trying to add stuff to this message? The whole point of this whole walking with God thing is Jesus and Jesus only. It's not about Jesus plus astrology or Jesus plus anything. It's about just Jesus. We get so weird. And what was happening is the first century church was doing the same things that, well, we do. We, we have Jesus, and then we also have our methods. We have Jesus, and we also, you know, listen to the sounds of the world. But we have Jesus, and we still, you know, want to kind of do things our way and then say, I'll just ask for forgiveness instead of permission. So we have Jesus, but we also want us. I love that. Our, our worship team led us into that song, I Surrender. It's the point. It's the point of this whole thing called Christianity. You've heard me say this before. If you took Christianity and you stuck it into a big pot and you turned the heat up really high and you stirred it all up and you boiled Christianity all the way down to one thing, you know what I think it boils down to? It boils down to the issue of control. Who has it, you or him? It's all about surrendering control to him and saying, Jesus, I am a mess. You saved me. I give my life to you. This church is a big mess. So, so what happens then is Paul writes this letter addressing the issue, this confrontation, and he says, listen, guys, there's a few things that you got to take care of. There's a few things you need to know. You need to stop doing what you've been doing and start doing this. Now, I'm going to read to you this morning and probably for the rest of this series out of the message translation of the Bible. Why? I just think it communicates in a different way. Some of us get used to reading the same translation over and over again. Now remember, it's a transliteration. It's kind of more of a paraphrase of what the truth is, of what the absolute New, uh, New American Standard Bible might say, or the actually Hebrew and Greek. It's still Bible. Amen. Go back and check it with your, your translation. In fact, read it in a couple different translations. But just for kicks and giggles, I'm going to read it out of this one, and you're going to hear it a little differently than you've heard it before. You good? No? <laughs> so I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1. 
chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. This letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ from and from Timothy, our brother Timothy. By the way, pause. Uh, it wasn't that Timothy was also writing this. It was just how Paul greeted people. Back in those days, when you greeted somebody, when you wrote a letter, you actually put your name first. You would say, like, Lance, and then you start writing the letter so that they didn't have to get to the end of the letter to find out who wrote it to him. They just knew ahead of time, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What does Paul do? Paul starts out immediately declaring his authority and what it is that God's called him to. It wasn't bragging. It was just simply saying, guys, listen, I'm not just a dude. I'm an apostle. I was given by God to you to write this letter to tell you something. And Timothy's sitting here with me. Verse 2. It was, written by, it was written to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. I love this. Paul, Paul's about to address this issue. You know, I think it's interesting because Paul could have gone into this big, long tirade of, okay, let me hear all the things that you guys are doing. Because if you read the book of Colossians, you'll see that they were getting uptight about what they eat, what they drank, how they lifted their hands or not lifted their hands, what they did, and religious holidays, and what they celebrated and not celebrated. And, and, and Paul could have addressed all of those things and said, let me tell you what, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is right. He could have done all that. But I love what Paul did. Paul didn't do any of that. All Paul said was is this. Guys, it would be really crazy for me to address all that stuff. Let me just make it super simple. Go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. Get over the methods and, and, and all the things that you're doing in your life to try to answer the question of my own purpose and get back to Jesus because your purpose will be found only in him. Your purpose isn't going to be found when your bank account's fat. Your purpose isn't going to be found when you finally find the right career. Your purpose is going to be found when you find yourself in Christ. And then whatever it is that you do from there is just what he's created you to do. Amen. You, you, well, we spend just the opposite. We spend all of our time trying to figure out what, how much money I can make. And once I get that done, I'll find out who I am, what career I have. And once I find that out, then I'll know who I really am. He says, no, discover who you really are in Christ. And that career and the money stuff, all the provision, it'll just take care of itself. We, we run the train the wrong way. Paul chooses to confront this heresy by getting right to Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Go down to verse 15. Paul now is going to talk about Jesus, and here's what he says. He says, look at this. Look at this son, Jesus, and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this very moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes that and holds it together too. Like the head does a body, he is supreme in the beginning. And leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place without crowding. Not only that, but all broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and even atoms, get, their proper, get, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. Because of his death and his blood poured out for you on the cross. What would happen if we actually viewed Jesus like that? What would happen if we actually viewed Jesus as like the everything? Like the everything. And we lived in him, for him, with him, by him, about him. We just lived in Jesus and said, listen, that's just what I'm going to be. I'm going to be with Jesus. It's just about Jesus. 
It's not how you think of me or I think of me or whatever it is. I'm just going to live for Jesus. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to give him. And what does that look like? It just means to do what Jesus did. Just go back and say, Jesus, you forgave. I can forgive. You served. I can serve. You trusted. I'm going to trust. I'm just going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to fall in love with you all over again, Jesus. Mm. This is what Paul says to the church down in verse 21. As you yourselves, get this, are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded, steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There's no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets this same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. Paul literally goes into what I'm going to spend the next four weeks talking about, these four things. Paul says, listen, if you have Jesus being the footnote in your life, if he's a little add-on that you just kind of, you know, shake on top of your popcorn, he's just a little bit, yeah, you know, that's popcorn, but I'm a little Jesus on top of it. If that's what you have in life and you just get a little dab of Jesus, then you got it backwards. Paul jumps in here and he says this. He says that if you want Jesus to be the main story of your life and not just a footnote, he says four things. Stay grounded in your faith. Remain steady in the bond of trust. Tune consistently to the message and be careful to not be distracted or diverted. I'm going to spend the next four weeks to, I was going to give you four points today. (laughs) Instead, I'm just going to give you one. Those four points are going to be the four sermons the next several weeks. Sermon, actually the next three. The first one is this, stay grounded. How do you stay grounded? If, If Jesus is a footnote in your life, if Jesus is just this, salt that you put on your popcorn. If Jesus is this little bit of a, eh, you know, God, I love you and all, but I want to get that serious because it just gets weird. If Jesus becomes that to you, then, then maybe you're not grounded in the faith. I love what Paul says. Paul's literally talking to these people and he says, guys, would you get back to the basics? Get back to being grounded in him. Uh, listen to what he says. He goes on. Paul, as he's talking about being grounded. He says in verse 28, we preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, exclamation point. No more, no less. Can we just have for fun, just for kicks, will you read that with me out loud? I know churches do that and it always makes you weird, but let's let's just give it a try. I want you to read these words. Here we go, verse 28. We preached Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. Let's make t-shirts about that. Somebody write a hashtag on that. How do you do I made a super long hashtag the other day. My daughter goes, Dad, too long. Hashtag supposed to be short. To be mature is to be basic. Christ. To be mature is to be basic. I just want to yell out really loud. To be mature is to be basic. It's Jesus. To be mature is to, you know what he doesn't say? To be mature is to create a cool method. To be mature is to say it like that. 
I was telling the pre-prayer moment this morning. It's kind of kind of weird, and I, I don't want to go there. I, there was this method of prayer that people used to use, and perhaps you use it. And if you do, good for you. But for me, it was a, I got hung up on this method of prayer because because it signified in me, just me. This is I'm talking about me. It signified in me spiritual maturity. Early on in my Christian faith, I remember hearing a guy pray, and when he prayed, every end of every sentence, he said the phrase "Father God." Right? I love you, Father God. You're good, Father God. Serve these people, Father God. Over and over and over. And for some reason, I was just under the impression that that's mature Christianity. You just say stuff like that. And so I, every time I prayed, I would say that. And it even got like mindless. Oh, God, will you just like keep the traffic off the bridge, Father God? And we're going on. I mean, it just got crazy. And I was saying it over and over again until finally I'm like, are you listening to what you're saying? You don't need to continue dressing him, like saying, I love you, Lance. Lance, you're great. Lance, I think you're Just keep on. Just be. Say what you're trying to say. To be basic is to be mature. And sometimes we just get so weird about what we're going to do. We read things and methods and plans. We keep on wanting to add this. I just tell you, if I can, if I can rattle your cage for the next five weeks and tell you I'm going to reduce you to Jesus, I want you to be grounded in your faith, then we're going to do that. I love this. Go, go down to chapter 2, verse 6. One of my favorite passages to really bring to really bring a close to this thought. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul writes this to that church who had gotten off in some crazy heresy, to this church who had, had kind of diverted themselves away from Christ and started moving into whatever it was they were adding to the gospel message. This is what he says. He says, My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. Let your living spill over into thanksgiving. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living. He's not saying stop studying. He's literally saying this. Will you just start talking? Just start living it out. What do I mean by that? You know, I love this. You know what this, this is really saying? This is my one point today. When you get stuck and you don't know what to do, start living it out. When you get stuck and you don't know what to do in this area of forgiveness, just do the next right thing. You know what the next right thing is? To forgive. <laughs> You're saying to yourself, you know what, I would just want to trust. I don't know how to trust, but I want to trust. I know that I should trust. I want to trust in Jesus. You know, it's funny because I think trust, this is crazy because it really hits us right where it's at. But if you want to grow trust in your life, you know the place that trust first starts is in your money. It just, it, that's where everybody goes, oh, not that. Right? It, it hits you right there. Trust is, I think the, the issue of trust always gets wrapped around this issue of your money. Why? Look at how you responded with me saying that. Makes us weird, right? Because that's my money. Stop. Get out of there. Just talk about church stuff. You're in church. Because money is this thing that we hang on to because we trust ourselves. Here's the deal. If you want to learn to grow trust, then start giving. You want to trust God? Trust him with your tithe. If you want to be forgiven, forgive. If you want to really grow your faith, step out in it. The crazy, it's basic. You don't have to become spiritually mature by reading the spiritually mature book. Stop studying and start living it out. Start loving someone. Here's the deal. Somebody said to me the other day, first of all, I believe in spiritual gifts assessment tests. You can take those things. Good for you. It's awesome, right? But if you really don't know a spiritual gift, 
Just start serving and your gift will show up. I promise you. Because you are you, you can't help being you. And your gift will show up. If you're a teacher, teaching will show up. If you're an administrator, administration will show up. If you're a servant, servanthood will show up. It'll just show up, I promise you. It's what God created you. He didn't try to make it complicated, but we do. We create like full-on crazy seminars about how to find your spiritual gift. And I'm like, that's awesome. Pay somebody to do that. But literally, just start serving and your gift will show up. You are you because it's a gift. You don't have to try to find it. Just start showing up. And somebody else will say, you know what? You're like a teacher. It's weird. Every time we sit around, you're telling everybody how to do something. (laughs) Maybe you're controlling, but you're like a teacher. (laughs) Guys, listen. The message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But for us, it's the power of God. To be mature is to be basic. To love one another. Remember when Jesus was being talked to and he's like, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? What are the most important commandments? And Jesus is like, "Uh, you really want me to boil them all down? Because there's two things. Love God, love people. Like he boiled the whole ten, Ten Commandments down to two. Love God, love people. In fact, he boiled it down even further to one. Love. Just love. When you're loving God and loving people, you know what's happening? You start to keep Jesus at the center of the whole thing because that's what Jesus did. You see, because God so loved the world that he gave, sent his son so that we all could have everlasting life, right? He could forgive us our sin. My hope today as you walk away and we embark on this five-week journey is that you get reintroduced to Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about remaining in the bond of trust. Just like Paul said right here, remain in the bond of trust. You see, get grounded and remain in the bond of trust. Get grounded. What does that mean? It literally means to get grounded. You know that phrase, get grounded, here in this, in, in this particular passage? In Matthew 7, Jesus says the exact same Greek word. You know what he used it in regards to? He says, a man who built a house one time built it on shifting sand. Storms came up and blew it over. But the one who built his house on the solid rock the solid foundation, the grounded groundwork of this particular Greek word stood up in the midst of the storm. If you're going to grow in faith, if you're going to find maturity, build it on grounded truth in Jesus, not on a method on how to pray better, not on a method on how to feel better, not on a method of how to be accepted by your friends and enemies, just Jesus. Love him, serve him, obey him, walk in him. How do, you, how do you know how to hear God's voice? Oh, he's talking to you. The problem is, is just our ability to stop and listen. More often than not, he's telling you something you don't want to do. Don't look there. Don't go there. Stop doing that. And then, then eventually you start hearing him stuff he wants to tell you to do. Look at that. Check that out. You ever had that happen? I was driving to work this morning. I, I, I was, Polly and I just moved. We were blessed with this opportunity to, to downsize our house from this house that held five people to a house that holds two. Trust me, two. So we went from a 3,000-square-foot house to a 1,000-square-foot house, right? It's awesome. I love it. it it's, uh, it's really close, but well, I love it, right? <laughs> we keep bumping into each other. No, I, I'm telling you, right? There's nowhere to hide. I tell people we have a, we have a central vacuum system in our house. And they're like, wow, that's awesome. Here's what it is. You take the vacuum and plug it in in the living room, and you can vacuum the whole house without unplugging it again. <laughs> Central vacuum system. It's awesome. This isn't supposed to be difficult. 
I was driving into work this morning and I saw this beautiful mountain. I saw the Narrows Bridge and I was like, God, you're good. But you just showed me. I did that. Listen, slapping my hand, telling me what not to do. See, God wants to give you that. He just wants to reduce your life down to simplicity in Jesus because to be basic is to be mature. Can, can we just take a few weeks and put all of our crazy methods just on the shelf? You can go pick them up later, but just for a few weeks and let's just reduce ourselves to Jesus. Amen? God, this morning we come and we thank you. Thank you for the simplicity of your word. Thank you for the simplicity of the message. And God, forgive us for all the crazy things we add on to the story, trying to somehow impress each other. Because clearly we're not impressing you. Maybe this morning this is hitting you. Maybe it's making you mad. I don't know what it is, but wherever you're at this morning, I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus, just you and him. Jesus, I need you. God, reduce me to you. Go ahead, just tell him. Maybe you need to ask him for forgiveness for putting stuff in front of him. Your worries, your fears, your anxieties, the shame, all that stuff is trumping Jesus. Maybe this morning you simply say, Jesus, I want you and only you. Maybe today for the first time you're realizing, Lance, I don't know if I even know Jesus, but you're here, you're at church. And you want to get to know this Jesus, if that's you, let me tell you, you're in the right place because we're going to talk about him. And this morning, maybe you want to surrender your life to Christ. Go ahead, just tell him, Jesus, I give you me. I'm a train wreck on my own, but I give you me. Take away my sin and just take me, God, I, I need you. Go ahead, just tell him, you and him. You and him. In Jesus' name, amen. Good stuff. Be ready. Come back next week. Spend a little time growing in trust. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Hey, listen.